God's here tonight. And uh, we're going to learn the Word. You want to get into the book of Daniel? Now let's just stand together and uh, we're going to pray. And then you get to be seated and I alone must stand for the next 45 minutes. But you know what? I love it. I love ministering the Word. All right, let's pray together over Daniel. We're going to move right along. Father, we thank you tonight that you are here. And we pray for the blessing of God on this Word. You gave us this Word, Lord. And David said your Word was like honey. It's like honey, sweet to the taste of the soul's palate. And we thank you for the good Word of God tonight, the prophetic Word of God tonight, the awesome, inerrant Word of God tonight. And we pray that you will bless and open our ears and open our eyes to understand and to see what you're telling us, speaking to us through this Word tonight. Now, church, we need ears to hear. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord and say with me tonight, say, Lord, speak to me. Help me to get everything off my mind but your Word so that I can focus on you. And thank you for it tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And now, of course, we've gone back to the clicker. Last week was problem-free. So here I go again. There it is. There it is. So we're so thankful. The only thing I ask, guys, is it's hard for me to see it because it's, it's, it's dull. It's, it's not popping in real good white. That's all. But in other words, it's good. Now, how many of you can remember the book of Revelation? We went through it just a while back, right? Now, what you're going to do is you're going to notice some of Revelation in this tonight because you can't teach the book of Revelation without holding Daniel in the other hand. And you can't teach Daniel without referring to the Revelation because the two really do coincide and mix together. And so last time we saw that Daniel and his three teenage friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those are the names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them when he was trying to assimilate them into Babylonian life. You remember that? And they resisted assimilation, which we must do. They courageously resisted the indoctrination attempts of King Nebuchadnezzar to turn them into Babylonians with Babylonian ways and thinking. And uh, we also pointed out that this is where the battle line has been drawn for the church today. Like never before, Christians in America are pressured. And you know what? Threatened. And you know what more? Coerced into embracing things that are totally against the Word of God. Examples, the homosexual uh, movement, same-sex marriage, abortion, to name a few, these are where cultural, the cultural battle lines have been drawn. Now, it's my opinion as a student of the Bible that you cannot embrace any of those three and say that you're following the Word of God. But we're being told if you don't do it, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your tax exemption, you're going to, you know, some have been arrested, some have been fined for simply taking a biblical stand against these things. So we, we find ourselves right now in the position of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a pagan kingdom, a post-Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation, can I tell you? It's no longer a Christian nation. It's a post-Christian nation. And I would take it a step further and say we're right on the verge of really just being a, a totally pagan nation, a, a nation that has forsaken the Word of God, has gone its own way, and is now putting its seal of approval on things that God 
calls sin. And not only approving of it, but celebrating it. So now, hence the stand that Daniel and his friends took is a witness and an encouragement to the church of the 21st century. We need to learn what we're going to get out of the book of Daniel because these four Hebrew teenagers, these were teenagers. Now, I believe Daniel was the oldest, but nevertheless, these are young men who stood against an entire kingdom, stood for God, and rocked that kingdom with the knowledge of God because they refused to bow their knee to the idols of Babylon. So this is our call. I really do believe this is the church's call today. Now, finally, we saw how God honored their commitment by granting them favor and promotion. But now in chapter 2, a major uh, test is about to be presented to them when Nebuchadnezzar has a mysterious, troubling dream. Now, we're going to see the dream was from God, but it troubled this pagan king. Now, let's start with Daniel 2, verse 1. We're going to go through chapter 2 tonight. We're going to move right through the book of Daniel, at least a chapter every week. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, plural, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So this was a major dream that had actually been given him by God. In fact, we're going to see that his dream is a profound prophecy that is going to open the door for Daniel to exercise the gift of interpreting dreams that have been developing in the shadows. And I shared it with you last week, God's developing you. You may not feel like it right now. You may look in the mirror and you don't feel like God's developing you or maturing you. But if you're getting up every day and seeking Him, you're His child, and you're walking in an obedient life to the best of your ability, God is preparing you for an hour and an hour for you. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Turning point. Amen. Amen. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's response to the dream is to call all of his occultic wise men together to interpret the dream. Uh, He's pagan. He doesn't know God. So he calls for all the, really, the phony balonies, the people who really don't have much. They're they're occultists. And we're going to see the king gave the command to call, listen to this group, this is a motley crew, the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans who were also astrologers to tell the king his dreams. So who has he accessed? He has accessed occultists, sorcerers, not any men of God. He's accessed people who are plugged into the other world, the dark side. And that's where he thinks he's going to get his answer. So they came and they stood before the king. And look what it says. The king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now look what it goes on to say. Verse 4, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation." Now, it's not phone, it's phony. Now, the phony false prophets and magicians know that once he tells them the dream, they can just make something up. No big deal. Hey, king, tell us the dream, and we'll interpret it for you. Well, any one of us here tonight could do that. We just make something up. Oh, here's what it meant. This is what it meant. 
no problem. Here we are, king. You've called the right guys. And that's when the king drops a bomb. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, this guy was a nice guy, you shall be cut in pieces. Isn't that just a great visual? And your houses will be made an ash heap. <laughs> wow. He's upset, right? This king is upset. I've wondered about old Nebuchadnezzar several times. Because, look, he's not only telling them, give me the interpretation, but I want you to tell me what I dreamed. I'm not going to tell you. You tell me what I dreamed. Now, as they hear this, the, the color is leaving their faces. It goes on. However, if you tell the dream in its interpretation, here's what I'll do for you. You shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, and he looks at these guys, therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Well, I can just see their faces right about now. They can't fake this. No way. I mean, how in the world can you tell some? If, if I came to you and said, man, did I have a dream last week? You tell me you're a prophet? I had a real dream last week. You say, oh, yeah, I'm very prophetic. Uh, what's your dream? I say, no, if you're prophetic, tell me the dream. And then tell me what it meant. I, I don't know a person unless they had the Spirit of God who wouldn't say, hey, and they'd walk away. Because you can't make this up. The dream could have been a billion, trillion different things. And so they are told this definitively. You want to be cut in pieces? Don't tell me. You want to be blessed and honored? Tell me. Now, the demand requires a genuine spiritual revelation that can only come from an all-knowing God. It's guaranteed to expose the fakery of these occultic mystics. Now, so they, their very lives are on the line, and they try once more. They're, now they're, they're in debate mode. They're in negotiation mode. And they answered again in verse 7, and they said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. Maybe you didn't hear us the first time, king. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you, are, you would gain time. In other words, here, here's what he's telling them. You're stalling. You're stalling here by debating with me about this because you see that my decision is firm. So he's telling them, I see right through you. You know that I mean what I say. So in, in, in asking me again, you're just stalling for time because you don't know what to say to me because you don't have it. If you do not make known the dream to me, he goes on, there's only one decree for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Now there's no way out. He's told them twice. They're standing there. They're looking at each other. They're looking at him. They're looking up. They're looking down. They're looking around. What do we do? We don't know how to tell him what he dreamed. And they reply by stating the request is impossible. This is what they say, verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king, and they said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you, you're being unfair here. You're being, you're being 
unreasonable here. There is not a man on earth who can tell you what you dreamed, but they were wrong. There was one, and his name was Daniel. And the only way Daniel is going to pull it off is by seeking the God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. Verse 11, it's a difficult thing that the king requests, they go on to say. And there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods. Notice plural. They don't know the living God. They don't know the one and only God. They don't know Jehovah God. Their gods are plural. They are fake gods, phony gods. There's nobody that can tell the king what you've dreamed except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now notice how they argue that the only one that could possibly meet his request is the gods. And guess what, Nebuchadnezzar? They don't talk to us people. Our gods, now here's what they're admitting. They're admitting they don't have any real god. You know, there comes a day if your god is false, if you don't, have, if you don't know the real god, the day comes when that's going to be exposed when you really need him. If your God is false, if it's an idolatrous God, a God made up by human imagination, the day will come when you really need him and he won't come through for you. And they're saying to Nebuchadnezzar here, okay, you, you put us in a corner. Here's the truth, Nebuchadnezzar, O king. Our gods don't talk to us. I'm glad to say my God talks to me. The real God talks. The real God has a mouth. The real God has eyes and ears and speaks. And he has a mind and he has knowledge and he knows the future. So this little, this little back and forth with these occultists and the king is revealing that the gods they have been presenting to him have been phony and fake the whole time. It's been fakery, phony, the whole time. And you know, it's a scary thing when you put all your, uh, all your marbles in the, into the basket of a false god. And then it comes down to you realize when you really need some kind of a supernatural answer, uh, the one that you have been trusting in and what you have been believing in can't begin to come through for you. This is what was shown when um, Elijah brought all of the priests and the prophets of Baal together and said, you call out on your God, Baal, and I'll call out on my God. And the God that answers by fire, he is the real God. And they all said, oh, that's great, that's great. And the Bible says that he said, you first. And so the prophets of Baal and all the, the, the priests of Baal began to cry out and call out on Baal. And they got frantic and they started cutting themselves. And they started going through all kinds of, uh, 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 of displays of emotion and, and really got frantic. And no fire ever fell. One man, Elijah, one man, a minority, one man, not the majority, the real small minority stepped forward who knew the real God and said, oh God, you're the true God, show them who you are. And the fire fell and licked up the water and burned up the wood and the whole nation fell on their face and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Do you not see that's where we are today? In our nation, it's really coming down to this. You say secularism is your God. You, you, you say that this is your, the real God and that's the real God. And, 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 and you Christians are saying that you know the real God. And we don't believe it. I believe 
in America, it's going to come down to this. It's going to come down to the real God stepping forth out of the people who really know him and saying, the Lord, he is God. That's what's happening here. God, Nebuchadnezzar is getting a real revelation. My guys, my, these, these guys I've been looking to, they don't know anything. They're fake. But this was such an empty argument because these magicians and sorcerers had gotten their job by claiming to perform magic and doing incantations that supposedly invoke spiritual powers from another world. And now their phoniness is laid bare. And the king is not thrilled. Look at verse 12 says, For this reason the king was angry and very furious. And he gave the command. Look how serious this is getting. He gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. You know why he's this mad? Now, I'm not justifying his anger, but here's what he's experiencing. I've been had. These guys have been lying to me all these years. They don't have a real God that can help me when I really need him. I've been had, so I'm going to wipe them all out. So the decree went out, verse 13, and they began killing the wise men. So, so there's killing going on. Now it's, now it's gone from a trial to tribulation. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were on the hit list because they were considered wise men as well. So people are starting to die. Daniel and his friends are on the hit list. Daniel, God's man for the hour, steps to the fore. Look what Daniel says. Verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? What's up? What, what has caused this? Why the, the, the killing of the wise men? What, is, what has gone down? Then Arioch made the, de- uh, the decision known to Daniel told him what had happened. And when Daniel learns of the peril of the hour, he says, give me a little bit of time. I need some time. I just need time to pray. If he wants an interpretation and he wants the dream revealed, you've got to give me some time to pray. That's all I ask. I'm not faking it. I'm not going to lead him astray. I just need time to seek God because I know who knows what he wants to know. Verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. He went right straight to Nebuchadnezzar and said, listen, don't kill me and don't kill us. Give me time to pray. Can you imagine the prayer pressure? You know, here's the king. Already people have died. You've gone to the king and said, hey, and you're on the list. And you say, hey, king, give me, give me a few hours to pray and let me see if God will talk to me. Can you imagine going into prayer what you would say to God? Hey, God, don't know if you've noticed, but if you don't tell me what he dreamed, we're toast. (laughs) Right? This is pressure. This is high-level, extra strength, industrial strength, stress, and pressure. Then Daniel went to his house, and he told his friends about it, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, their names before uh, Nebuchadnezzar changed their names, his companions. So he's told 
we, we would say today he's told the church. He's told his brethren. He said, we've got, to, we've got to really go into the place of prayer right now. This is serious. We're dead if God doesn't speak. And he said, here's why, that we might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret, everybody say the next four words with me, was revealed to Daniel. Who knows every secret, everybody? The God who sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And how, how did he get the secret? He got it in the place of prayer. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids them not for asking, and it shall be given him, James said. So here we go. And when they received the answer, and how did he get it? He got it in a night vision. I think that means he was asleep. How he went to sleep, I'll never know. But if it happened in his sleep, it came to him in a night vision. God sent him a vision. God sent him the answer. God answered prayer. Can we say that together? God answered prayer. And let's remember, the providential God is in charge of all these things. He gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. He knew that all the phony baloney magicians and sorcerers would be exposed. He knew that Daniel and the three buddies of his would seek God. And and God knew, I'm going to give Daniel the answer because I'm about to rock this kingdom with a knowledge of me. So Daniel had a praise fit. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So now there's a major crisis in Babylon. And Daniel and his friends who had refused to assimilate through indoctrination in Babylonian ways now hold the key to the crisis. So God has supernaturally spoken to Daniel in a dream. What only God could know, the contents of the dream, he himself, had given to Nebuchadnezzar. And the four young men have a praise meeting. And uh, Daniel answered and said, verse 20, blessed be the name of God. Wouldn't you be blessing God if you got the answer? Because he knows his life is saved right now. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Now listen to what he's going to say here. Because what he says in this praise moment is powerful. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You see what he's saying? God's in charge of nations. When God wants to, he just removes a king. When he wants to, he raises up another king. God is in charge of nations. Now it goes on. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my Father, says Daniel. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel goes directly to the man who had been commissioned to kill all the wise men of Babylon, Arioch, and tells him he's got the interpretation. So Arioch takes Daniel immediately to the king, and Daniel proceeds to witness to Nebuchadnezzar that there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are captives in Babylon with the rest of Judah because of Judah's sin. 
But I want you to notice, church, how Daniel and the three Hebrew children are prospering where they were planted. Even though they were in a pagan culture, they resisted assimilation into that culture. They, they kept themselves and their walk with God intact. And when the moment of crisis came, they stepped forward full of light, full of wisdom, and they began to testify of the real and true God. I see the church here in this dark hour of America. Who's going to have an answer? It's going to be those who have resisted assimilation, who have refused indoctrination, who have had their minds renewed by the Word of God, who have stayed true to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and there's going to be a moment when the church steps forward, many moments, and says, let me tell you the answer. Let me tell you about the real God. Let me tell you about the God who answers prayer. Let me tell you about the genuine, the real thing. I see a parallel here. Daniel proceeds to witness to Nebuchadnezzar there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets and that the occultic wise men, astrologers, magicians, and sorcerers are useless phonies. And now Daniel tells the king his dream. Here we come to the meat of the chapter. You, O king, were watching, verse 31, and behold, you dreamed of a great image. Now we're going to remember this from the Revelation when we went through the Revelation. We're going to remember this. This great image that you dreamed about, O king, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. What you saw was awesome, O king. This image's head, he's, now he's going to describe what the king dreamed. Who could ever have come up with this without God revealing it to him? Watch this, because it's intricate. This image's head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. It's a, it's a man. It's in the shape of a man, but it's, it's broken up this way. The head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. And its legs were of iron. And its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Wow. Can you imagine God revealing this to you that somebody dreamed it? This is intricate. This is involved. This isn't saying you saw a butterfly going across a field. This is involved. If you don't hit it on the head, with, uh, you're dead. And, and look what God showed him, this image. You watched, verse 34, while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and, they bro and broke them in pieces. Verse 35, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. And became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Wow. How many of you would say that was an interpretation? That was a revelation. Now he's going to give the interpretation. Now, what Daniel's just described... Watch carefully, church. It's powerful because we're involved partly in this prophecy. What he's just described is a prophecy of four kingdoms. Amen. One already is, and there will be three to come. This prophetic dream shows us that God absolutely knows the future of nations. Our God, the God who gave us the Bible, 
The God who sent his son and lives inside of you by his spirit, that God, knows the future of nations, America, China, Russia, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, all of Europe. He knows the future of all of them and can tell you with intricate detail what's going to come down with every one of them, including the nation we're in right now. He knows the future. And that's what this prophecy is about to show us. When that nation will arrive and when that nation will fall. Daniel next gives Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation, part of which reaches down to you and me today, so buckle your seatbelts. Verses 36 and 37, Daniel continues with the interpretation. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, and has made you the ruler over them all. Who made him ruler? God did. And, and he didn't even know God. He didn't even know God. But God made him ruler. And has made you ruler over them all. And you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. So here's this picture of, of this, this, this figure, this image shaped like a man. And with the head of gold, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're that head of gold. That's you. It's the Babylonian kingdom. It's the kingdom of Babylon. So first off, the dream identifies Nebuchadnezzar himself in the Babylonian kingdom that had destroyed Jerusalem and would hold Israel captive for 70 years. So there's the first part of the image. Next, the dream reaches into the future. Verse 39, but after you, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. This is a prediction of the Medes and the Persians. And this is a mind blower here because Daniel got to see this one come to pass. We recall the moment, don't we, when Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, held a feast where they took the sacred vessels dedicated to God out of the temple and used them for alcohol in a drunken orgy took what was sacred, and that's what happens to a backslidden, depraved nation, the, what, the, the ability to recognize what is sacred and what is not sacred fades away, goes away, disappears. And the sacred is abused without the abuser even stopping to think about the fact that they're, like for instance, I can't tell you how the way people view churches has changed. You'll see people uh, just walk into a church, They'll walk into a sanctuary, um, you know, with drinks in their hand and, and um, uh, you know, just, um, and, and I don't care how you come to church, believe me. I, I don't care. I want pink hair, purple hair, blue hair, no hair. I, I, want, I, I want people all tatted up and not tatted. I want everybody to come to this church. What I'm saying is there's been a loss, though. There, there's been a weakening of understanding uh, with a lot of people um, that, that when you come into the house of God, there's a sacredness to it. And you can tell by the way some people act in church. They can tell. Or, or you can tell the way they act that they don't get it. They don't understand that, that um, because he's here, it's sacred. Because we have come here to worship him, it's a sacred place. 
You know, even when I write, and I write all the time, I write four to 6,000 words a week. Easy. I will not write um, Lord or God or um, Holy Spirit. I won't even abbreviate Holy Spirit. I will always write it out. So, Jeff, that sounds like legalism. No, because to me, there are some words that are sacred, and so I'm, go- I'm going to write it out, and I'm going to cap it. I just am. Now, I can get away with it in today's modern English usage. I can get away from, with doing that, uh, uh, but I don't want to because to me there are things that are sacred. That Bible to me is sacred. I'm not going to treat it like other books. I'm not going to throw it into some dusty closet. And let, I, it, it's sacred to me. There are things that are sacred. And, and, but when you, when you depart from God, you lose that discernment or even that care about what is sacred. And here, to them, the vessels that were in the temple that had been dedicated to God were, were nothing. They got them, and they began to use them for wine. where They were all getting drunk. So they totally abused what was dedicated to God. Okay? And then the hand appeared. A hand appeared. <laughs> what if I was talking right now, and all of a sudden up here, a hand appeared and started writing. Just a hand. I do believe I'd lose your attention. <laughs> it starts writing. Here they are. They're all drunk. There's about a thousand people there. And they're all drunk, you know, sinning against God. It was, a, it was debauchery. It was terrible. And now here this hand appears, and it starts writing. And Daniel, now an old man, was there again to interpret the writing, and it said, meeny, meeny, tekel, you parson, which meant, oh, man. Daniel came and said, let me read it to you, Belshazzar. Here you go. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Everybody say with me, when God finishes it, finishes it. it's finished. finished. (laughs) You don't ever want to hear God say, you know what, you finished he said, your kingdom is, uh, God's numbered your kingdom has finished it and finished it. You have been weighed the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to who? The Medes and the Persians. Now, that's the second part that Daniel saw, this image. That night, Belshazzar was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. That very night, kingdoms shifted. Oh, I'm telling you, church. We're living in a time where there could come a shift you wouldn't believe. A whole nation shifted and went to another in one night. The event happened decades after Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation. It happened decades after. Now next, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Then there was another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Now, we know that the bronze kingdom was the Greeks under Alexander the Great. Alexander was a military prodigy who was mentored in his childhood by none other than the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Did you know that? Alexander the Greek was mentored by Aristotle. I'd rather listen to Paul than Aristotle. I'd rather listen to Peter than Aristotle. Anyway, Alexander was a short man, 
but he had a brilliant military mind. His military, military victories were prodigious, and it was he who conquered the Persians, ushering in the golden year of Greece, the kingdom of bronze. So here's these kingdoms that Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream and told him. There's your kingdom, the Babylonians. Then a weaker kingdom is going to take the Babylonians over, and it was the Medes and the Persians. Then another kingdom is going to take that kingdom over, and that was the Greeks. All these things, church, happened in history just like Daniel said. That's amazing to me. So you know what? Our God knows exactly what's going to happen with America, exactly what's going to happen with China and all the other nations in the world right now. He knows exactly what's going to happen because he, he nailed these various kingdoms that were coming. Daniel, as I said, got to see the second one fulfilled in his own lifetime as an old man. Now, finally, Daniel interprets the final part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Verse 40, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. That kingdom was Rome. The greatest and most ruthless of the four kingdoms, he continues, Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. And this happened when Western Rome collapsed a little around 420 A.D., somewhere around in there, and Eastern Rome, known as Constantinople, continued for a 1,000 years, and it collapsed around 1453. All right? Daniel continues. Yet the strength of the iron, Rome, shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now watch carefully. The iron represents old Rome, but as it divides... Other cultures will be mixed in with it, which is exactly what happened in Constantinople. It was a mixture of cultures while still maintaining some of the iron of old Rome. Now, verse 42, And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. He's talking about Rome now. As, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, you may remember when we study the Revelation that John predicted the Roman Empire would reappear in the latter days. And out of this resurrected Roman culture, the Antichrist would appear. And this resurrected Roman culture will also be a mixture of old Rome, the iron, and many other cultures, the clay. We call it multiculturalism. Now comes the good part. Daniel's prophecy is now reaching down to you and to me and the soon-to-return King of kings and Lord of lords. He says in verse 44, In the days of these kings, the rulers and nations that will be part of revived Rome, in our day, let me say that again, in the days of these kings, talking about the rulers and the nations that will be part of revived Rome in our day, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. That's the prophecy. He goes on, verse 44, the kingdom shall not be left 
to other people. In other words, it won't be ruled by man. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Gee, I wonder whose kingdom he's talking about. There's a new day coming, folks. When the King of kings and Lord of lords comes and sets up his kingdom, and it won't be ruled by men. There will not be a Republican convention or a Democratic convention. There will not be a vote. It will be a monarchy ruled by a king, the king, the only king, the capital K king. And that's what he's telling us here. The kingdom established by Jesus, says Daniel, will be eternal. And it shall break in pieces all of the godless earthly kingdoms at his return. Amen. Amen. Now we're almost finished and Daniel wraps it up saying, verse 45, Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, I want to just stop right here and say I know some of that was a little bit difficult to follow, but suffice it to say, as Daniel interpreted the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, he predicted, and the dream had predicted, the coming of four kingdoms. One was already there, Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, then that Rome would reappear down the tunnel of time in the last days. I believe we're seeing Rome has reappeared right now in Europe, the European common market. I believe the old Rome, that iron of Rome is there, and it's mixed with other cultures like he saw. And when Jesus returns... He is going to destroy the godless kingdom of the Antichrist. He's going to put down every despot, every dictator, every godless ruler. He's going to crush every kingdom that has resisted him. And then he's going to establish his own kingdom and rule the world with a scepter of righteousness. And that is what Daniel has given to us. And he says, the, the, the hand that cut this this rock out of the mountain, the way it was cut out without hands, means that God himself gave to us the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who's going to return and crush every other kingdom. And folks, I believe he is near even at the very door. That's the dream of Daniel. Now, Daniel reveals that it's the God, God himself who brings down Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and Rome. He's the God of the nations. I said again, he's the God of the nations. Let me say it one more time. He's the God of the nations. He's the God of Iran. He's the God of Iraq. He's the God of Russia. He's the God of China. He's the God of Europe. He's the God who is sovereign over America. Whether or not we honor him, he's still in charge of America. He just uses human beings for the various transitions. But they are only actors on the stage of history. That's all Nebuchadnezzar was. Or Darius of the Medes and the Persians. 
or Alexander of the Greeks or any of the Caesars of Rome. They're just players on the stage of history that God sovereignly and providentially used because he can do anything. Our God's in charge, and that's what I want you to see tonight. If Daniel, the book of Daniel shows us anything, it is that God is in charge, even of pagan nations. You say, well, Jeff, then why does he wait so long? If I knew the answer to that, I could write a bestseller and be rich. God does what God wants to do because God has his reasons and his thoughts are higher than mine and his ways are out of reach of my understanding. But I do know he's providential. Man's not in charge. God's in charge. The devil's not in charge. God's in charge. That's what Daniel shows us. The king is amazed. I mean, can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar's face at this point? He's white as a sheet. He can't believe what he's just heard. And God is glorified. And look at this. The no-compromise teenagers are promoted. I want you to stand with me and let's read the final verses. Do you see how refusing to compromise paid off at a crucial moment in the history of Israel? Now, look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. Don't you love that? Prostrate before Daniel. And he commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. So look, he went from a zero to a hero in what interpretation? Because he was a dead man until God gave him a word of wisdom. He fell on his face, commanded that they should give him an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, you've got to read this with me, everybody. Come on. Truly your God is the God of gods the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Hallelujah. What we're seeing here is a conversion. We're seeing a conversion. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Does it remind you of Joseph there? and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Wow. Also, Daniel petitioned the king. He said, hey, don't forget my bros. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And over the affairs of the province of Babylon, he said, would you you also promote them? Because they prayed with me. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Wow. Amen, amen. Father, we just thank you tonight that you're the King of kings, Lord of lords, the God over all the nations, and you are the revealer of secrets, the giver of wisdom, the possessor of knowledge, the imparter of understanding. And Lord, we see so well in this story how these four Hebrew teenagers who refused to compromise refused to bow, bend, break, or back down, refused to assimilate, were used mightily of you to impact an entire pagan nation with the knowledge of God. Now, can we lift our hands to the Lord and say with me, Lord, help me to play a part on the stage of history, standing for you in this backslidden nation that we would see a move of God 
as they did, where God shows himself to be the only God, the real God, the true God. And do it through your church, Lord. Do it through your church. In Jesus' name.